Taking you inside the world of music, this is Inside Music Cast with Rick Such and Eddie Cabello. On this episode, Inside Music Cast welcomes Jenny DeVoe. Welcome to Inside Music Cast, a podcast devoted to musicians, fans, and the people that make music happen. I'm Rick Such. And I'm Eddie Cabello. Welcome, everybody, from around the world. And as Rick mentioned, Inside Music Cast is devoted to bringing you candid interviews, news, and information with the musicians, fans, and people that make music happen. That's right. This is the podcast that goes beyond the pop star and features the talent behind the talent. So if you're ready, let's get started. Welcome to episode number eight of Inside Music Cast. I'm Rick Such. And I'm Eddie Cabello. If you've been a subscriber to our podcast, you know by now that our focus is the talent behind the talent in the music industry. Today's guest takes us directly to the talent. She's been described as a 21st century flower child with a voice that exhumes the likes of Janis Joplin, Joss Stone, or even a hint of Melissa Etheridge. Her bluesy, folk-oriented musical direction, combined with smartly crafted lyrics, weave together seamlessly to create songs reminiscent of the great singer-songwriters who so heavily influenced popular music in the late 60s and 70s. Her latest CD, Fireworks and Karate Supplies, is her fourth release and it's getting rave reviews by media all across the country. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Jenny DeVoe. Jenny, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, Jenny, I want to start off with a question. Uh, when people hear your music for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, the first comment that I typically hear from people that are standing next to me or whatever is, my God, what a voice. That's an incredible voice. You know, your impact when a person hears your voice for the first time, what does that do for you when you, know, you receive those type of comments? The girl can sing. It's uh, probably the thing that keeps you doing what you're doing. So it means probably everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the truth is not everybody loves you, but the people that do when they express it to you, it's sort of like a drug, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's like validates that you're doing something that makes some people happy. Mm-hmm. And you try not to focus on the people that didn't say anything to you. <laughs> <laughs> people try to describe your, your voice as, as the bluesy. Like Rick uh, said in the intro, it's bluesy. It's emotion-packed. It's an instrument that practically you possess. But uh, when did you discover? I mean, let's let's go back to when, when Jenny discovered, man, I've got a voice on me. I've, or somebody tell you. How, how did that happen? You know what? Susan McDowell in sixth grade. I remember standing beside Susan McDowell and um, this girl in choir, and she's like, you really have a good voice. And I used to always think that I did, and it embarrassed me a little bit. And mm-hmm. then I – but I was very shy. I was painfully shy in elementary school, so I just kind of kept it to myself until just after high school. And then, um, you know, I always knew I could sing, and I sang privately in the shower, I guess, like maybe a lot of people do. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I got a later start than most people because I – I was outgoing in some aspects, but when it came to that, I was painfully shy now. Not at all. I'm very happy and comfortable on stage. So at sixth grade, I mean, uh, t- <laughs> take us from there. So she told you that, that hey, you've got a voice. Did she encourage you? What, what's, you know what? what it was what just, happened to that? She yeah. wasn't like one of my best friends or anything, but isn't that funny? Because you asked that and it stuck with me. It's like, I thought I could sing too. You know, so it was sort of a validation. Mm-hmm. And then I remember being away at camp and somebody else uh, Tracy Overfield. See, I remember these names. Mm-hmm. So they were um, they were just validating something that I kind of secretly knew or, you know, hoped I was right about. And, and you know, I, I think just nobody was around me really giving me confidence to to do it. So at some point you just have to take the leap. Yeah. You know, did you come from a musical family? Yes, you did. I did. Ah, yeah. So. 
church music mostly. It was very um, strict, and um, secretly, I listened to all my sister's records. She listened to stuff. My older sister had stuff like Fleetwood Mac and Shaka Khan, Rags to Rufus. Mm-hmm. Um, so the soul part is yeah. I I've, first time I heard Rags to Rufus, um, I was just like, that's that's me. That's who I am. I <laughs> oh, yeah. am. You know, I really did think I was going to be Shaka Khan and, and felt um, incredibly moved and touched. And I, I felt like that is emotional. And I felt really great mm-hmm. singing that type of stuff. So then I started finding Aretha Franklin and old school people. It's funny you mentioned um, Shaka Khan. I mean, when, when she sings a song, she sings a song. And isn't she happy when she's singing? <laughs> she's so happy. And she just, you could tell she's putting it all in there. Yeah. And the thing about her is I remember seeing a divas thing that she was on and boy, when it was her turn, mm-hmm. it was just kind of put everybody else to shame. Yeah. She doesn't miss her notes, you know, and she's, she's not um, made up in a studio. Mm-hmm. Like she's, she's the real deal. Yeah. So I full out respect for Shaka Khan. I hope she hears this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it to her. She listens. She's a subscriber. I know she is. <laughs> hey, sticking with the musical development, you've told us a little bit about some of your influences, um, but did you really nurse your music background did it really start in high school and college and i mean when did it really start to blossom for you you know what there was really no plan except i knew that i was going to be like a novelist like a uh, mark twain a humorist i thought because i i you know i've always thought i had a real good knack for what was funny in, in writing and i i even write you know some lines that i think are pretty humorous and i love being on stage for the sheer reason that people are paying attention to me singing and then in between it's like the talking is just as important but um lyrically i don't think i did blossom until i was anxious to put out my first record independently without a label or anything like that and so i had tons and tons of lyrics before that uh focusing though and really crafting I did a lot of that in the studio. It's like I think the ADD thing or I sort of have – I think a lot of people have it and it's like I don't lay you know, claims to it because I think the world has it actually. But um, I got into the studio and I realized there were things I was unhappy with. It's like, uh uh-oh, we're going to tape right now. And then I realized it's like this song doesn't make sense to me or so I was a little bit better on the second record. And then the third record, fourth record is is by far the um, one I'm most proud of because of emotion, because of fulfilling the vision I had beforehand. It didn't come out like something like, surprise, you know, here's Mm -hmm. what you get. So um, I feel like I'm still in the process of that. I sort of made records before I think I was really good at, Mm -hmm. um, you know, crafting a song. You've recorded four albums. Yes. And I want to talk specifically about your first album. Okay. And there's one cut. In fact, we chatted about it just a little bit before the interview. Um, It's Barefoot in Babylon. Yeah. And I noticed that on that cut – it has a foundation of rhythm that's it's it's almost uh, R and B, a little bit of funky feel. It's more than so, but it's got a real deep groove. Yeah. And for a first cut that you start off with, now, now granted that's your first album. Um, explain where you found that that real heavy R and B feel that's really almost untouched in your your other albums. Right. The way you did it on on Barefoot. Talk to me about that. That was a song that we it just kept being undone and so that was the first record there were a lot of things that sort of happened in the studio with the first record and I remember um, it having kind of a different melody and I remember Todd my bass player at the time he was great with 
melodies on bass. Like hmm. he he's a guitar player who plays bass. Okay. And a simple guy and a guy with a sense of humor. And um and an incredible uh boy, he he can lay down a groove and and he just made it so deliberate. He was playing around and it, it changed the whole song, changed the whole vibe of the song. It became a lot more mysterious and a lot more driven by the bass. Mm-hmm. So um, it was just sort of a magical thing where it's like it wants to be that and everybody just kind of let go a little bit and didn't smother it in the beginning with you yeah. know how it starts. Right. And it's we stay pretty true to that when we play it live now because the groove was so great. There are other songs that I feel like have gotten better groove and pocket wise yeah, as right. we've played them live sure. mm-hmm. um but that one pretty yeah we nailed that one yeah and i didn't i can't really take credit for that but that was todd he was awesome <laughs> now go ahead and take credit okay, okay. i take full credit <laughs> your name's on the album yeah, that's right. <laughs> forget that <laughs> a second ago eddie was asking about the creative process for your music yeah and when, if you going over to the lyrical side i wanted to ask you know obviously every song has a different inspiration but Tell me a little bit about that lyrical creative process. I mean, are there certain places that, you know, for example, you like to go and, and be by yourself? I mean, there is, is where literally, do you f- yeah, literally, you know, or, or maybe figuratively, you know, uh, too. Are you here right now? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Half of me is here. I mean, Half do you, of me's out there. you do that or do you collaborate with your band or are there other people you'd like to write? I don't lyrics collaborate or? with lyrics, although I could sing a Bob Dylan song and really mean it from my heart if I can relate to it. Mm-hmm. But part of being able to sing on stage and really connect to an audience, I f- kind of feel like it makes it a little bit more special if I am the person singing the words that I actually wrote. And they do mean something to me. But I write, oh gosh, I would say I write a little of something every day. I don't even know if that's a good thing. It, it could actually be, um, it can clutter up when really good things come to you. I've actually tried to stop just writing anything because yeah. I have drawers and suitcases and uh, mini discs, stacks of mini discs yeah. and stacks of discs and uh, stuff with with song ideas on them. And I'm in the process right now of narrowing down for another record. So I'm real, you know, trying to pick through what's good. And it doesn't always have to be really clever, but it just has to be something I'm proud of for one reason or another. You know, I've always compared writing lyrics with that of putting together a jigsaw puzzle you know it, yeah and it's you know i've i've actually tried to write lyrics myself and you know failed miserably but um. it's just like a puzzle it's just like a puzzle because you could can you start sing us that song rick well it's it's such a challenge <laughs> sing, sing us a couple no, I, no you don't want my lyrics <laughs> <laughs> they turn it end up sounding like either christmas or children's songs but but it's such a challenge to take an idea and creatively deliver a message that pulls all of your ideas together well it doesn't usually happen like right perfectly the first time so there's a lot of like uh, let's say you start out with this line uh, as it's it is very puzzle-ish that's great because then you can move this line down to here oh this line should actually be the hook of the chorus Mm -hmm. or you know it so it's like that and it's kind of frustrating sometimes and it 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 is uh you'd like it to be done from the beginning yeah you said earlier though that in your early development you wanted to be a writer but do you still find that writing lyrics is the main challenge to putting a song together oh gosh a good melody is killer and you know it's like i think i've tried to make my songs as time's going on a little less complicated like Mm -hmm. a little less i don't want to say dramatic because you know it's not really drama but like when you're too caught up in in delivering something deep sometimes you can actually miss the deepness of it all together it's just like a movie i mean if you contrive it too much it's going to be too obvious so you know keeping things simple sometimes is is the biggest challenge cutting stuff away you know keeping it simple is 
King. Typically on Inside Music Cast, we concentrate our conversation with our guests. But since we have Jenny here in the studio with us today,、uh, she's agreed to perform a song from her latest CD,、uh, "Fireworks and Karate Supplies." And Jenny, what song are you going to perform for us?、Uh, don't it sound good? I, I, like I say it. it like that, so it's not donuts. <laughs> Donuts Donut sound good. Sound, Donuts、mm, sound good. That could be a Homer Simpson、mm-hmm. sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could sell it to Dunkin' Donuts. There we go. Maybe so. <laughs> Jenny, take it away. You gotta move up and out of the way I hate when it's. Trying to run you down in a big black car. You gotta give way to us talking on you by rising above. That's where you're gonna get a, a better view, you know. There's been friends who weren't really friends, and there's been those with painted faces, and they're just places that you've been. Can't recall the love 'cause it left no traces. Just some wanting in your soul for some peaceful places. But I need you, especially when it rains, 'cause you take away my pain. Don't it sound good? I say my name and we let love flow. Slowly, and a friend was still a friend. And I want you to be just what you said you'd be to me. Always right beside me till the very end. And I wanna paint skies. I wanna leave time fill with my hands, and I all in my eyes be blind. And when I hear your voice, I got no choice. I wanna be with you, yes I do. And when you can't recall the love, 'cause it left no traces, just some wanting in your soul for some peaceful places. And I need you, especially when it rains, 'cause you take. Away my pain, don't it sound good? Saying my name, let love flow on down like a runaway train. Gotta lay it all down on a railroad train. Don't you ever look back? Never look back. La 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 la
dive into your latest album. Okay. Uh, let's. I'm, I'm sorry, CD. I, okay. I, get, I get burned for saying album, but, you know, album is still a collection of songs. It's not yeah. necessarily vinyl. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you on the whole album thing. I think we can call it an album. I like album. On a CD. But Fireworks and Karate Supplies. Yes. It's uh, from <clears throat> start to finish. You know, I've listened to it a dozen times probably in the last month or so. And from start to finish, it's it's just one of those CDs that's just difficult not to listen to. Yeah. There's not a song in there in my mind that misses a beat. And, Thank uh, you. And, you know, I've always been a fan of your second studio title, which was Ta-da. Ta-da. And uh, that's, you know, I've, I used to listen to that. I, mean, I still do. You it's know, more rocking, lot. isn't it? It rocks a little bit. I think harder. so, yeah. Yeah. But I really like kind of the slower, more bluesy, folksy pace of Yeah. Of this and it is one. bluesy and folksy. Yeah. And I was going for that with a mm-hmm. raw. The thing I like about that record is that I got, like what we were talking about, I had a vision on it. And I think John Parrish and uh, Paul Mayhern, producer-wise, listened to me and that was really awesome Mm -hmm. and it also showed me that i had come a long way in communicating to a producer and to musicians about leaving space and and like i can hum little guitar hooks that i wanted on some things if i couldn't play them which is a lot Mm -hmm. you know because i'm mostly rhythm player but um everybody listened and it was you know it came out i think i love that record for that reason Mm -hmm. a lot of fans love ta-da you know, because they're like, that's just my favorite. And that's awesome. Right. And I'm like, I love the new one. So I feel <laughs> a little close to it for different reasons and, you know, maybe artsy or fartsier reasons. For fireworks and karate supplies, you know, you travel to Bath, England. Yeah. And, you know, as you mentioned, you work with John Parrish. And he's also produced uh, such artists as Tracy Chapman and PJ Harvey and, and I think John Mellencamp too, right? And the Eels. And the Eels. Yes. That's right. How did you meet John and what was it about his style of producing that enticed you to work with him? You know what? I had always liked PJ Harvey. It's like kind of like a secret indulgence, but I just thought she was great, raw, kind of dark. And so I knew from just, I always get the records out or the CDs and read, you know, who's done what 
that's like one of my big things. And when they stop putting that in, like I don't have an iPod, you guys. Um, I get the, I like to get the CDs and and read all the stuff. True. But I just emailed him, you know, and I and I had uh, emailed him because he had just done Let It Rain with Tracy Chapman, mm-hmm. and I had read about how they had done it. And then I read an interview with him online, and I thought I'm I can get along with him. I thought I'd really like him as a person, and he seemed kind of uh, to himself, kind of. Uh, mysterious and not very Hollywood, you know, mm-hmm. and I thought maybe he would work with somebody that's not on a major label. So I emailed him, got a response back from his manager. He said, send some stuff. I sent some stuff and then I got a call from John mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it just sort of progressed into um, emails and phone calls. And we figured out it would be cheaper for me to go there with my budget yeah. and work with him because he lives in Bristol. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seemed like a smart thing to do rather than fly him here and meet him in California or, yeah. or wherever and, and put him up for a while. Plus, he wanted to be with his family, and he said he just enjoyed not having a major label to tell him how long this record will take. Yeah, wouldn't you suspect, <laughs> though, that he'd be more natural in, in his circle producing where he's he's at? I mean, Yeah, he got to go home every night. We work from 11 to 7 every day at this studio called Moles, and mm. it, was a, it used to be a place where um, – war spies would go to meet down in this basement so <laughs> at night and we stayed up above the flat like right across the little the little hall and there were bar fights every single night <laughs> glass breaking out in the thing you know and it's like i'm, I'm already past that stage in my life but it, it was kind of neat you know it was just like kind of smelled like it's, beer and cigarettes all the time it's always it nice cool. to relive a good bar fight it, it was a, there was a fight in the in the alley every night. Girls screaming and yelling, and I would just like I'd throw up my window, and I'm like, "Let's listen." I had my husband with me. <laughs> Girl fights. So yeah, it was just it was just cool. So when you went, uh, um, you know, you're in England, and you have your material and so forth. I mean, how did you discuss? Uh, you know, um, here here's a writer coming over. I, I need to produce an an album, and you've chosen John. What does he control? What he what do you control? How how did the collaboration of of making the music? What did you leave with that you right. didn't anticipate at the very beginning? Um, I think the coolest part was just there was a great mutual respect and give and take. Everybody was real open to hey, do you guys like this? What do you think about this? And then he might play something, and then you might go, oh oh, what if you do this or or leave out the third one? Yeah. So I had songs to go with. I took one guy with me. And, um, you know, built it. And, and the songs existed, so it wasn't that hard. It was just a matter of what are we going to like and what mood are you going for? And, you know, something magic happened on every single song. And he's yeah. so funny because we finished the song Missing Me, and he sat and mixed it, too. I mean, we had we did have an engineer who was helping Great everything. song, by the way. That's a wonderful Thank tune. you. Yeah. John turned around when it was done, and he goes – because he's very not like a pop maker, you know, but yeah. he turned around and he goes, I do believe that's a hit song. I've never made a hit song before, but I believe that's a hit song. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I hope it's a hit song too. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we could all pay our bills. <laughs> now tell me about the title, Fireworks and Karate Supplies. Where did you come up with that? Uh, let's see. We were going out to, I was with my manager at the time, one of my guitar players. We were driving to Boston. Or no, we were driving to New York. And mm-hmm. and um, it was like this big giant billboard on the side of the road driving out east. <laughs> it was giant. Uh, the old billboard said, One billboard said, mm. ne- or it said exit so-and-so, 
fireworks and karate supplies. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's, that's really exciting. So then, and then we pass it again, and it like the intensity of it gets bigger and bigger and, and closer and closer together. The signs get closer and closer together. It's like they really want you to go and experience the fireworks and karate supplies. And so I just got out my little thing and I wrote down fireworks and karate supplies. <laughs> Don't know where this is going to go, but you know, we pass this giant warehouse and like this big thing's on top of it, and it's like here. Fireworks and karate supplies. So I put it as a line in my sister, the hippie, and it really means um, whatever you want it to mean. But I thought with the picture that I just I chose for the cover mm-hmm. that it needed to have a little bit of a well, it, it, humor. It, it works. It yeah. works. Don't don't you love titles like that when people think like, God, there's such an in-depth mean? story, yes. you know, as to where did that title really come right. from and whatever. One of the best title uh, stories that I've read was is really cool. There's a band out of England. They're sort of reggae's UB40. Uh-huh. Okay? UB40. And most people that are into the stories know that when these guys were starting out, before they even met each other, they were in the unemployment line in London. London. Uh-huh. And they're there in line and so forth. And they're discovering that each one plays an instrument mm-hmm. and so forth. So obviously they formed the band and so forth. And uh, well, to, to make a long story short, the UB40 is the unemployment form <laughs> that you fill out in London. That's okay. funny. And thus UB40, you know, these guys, they met each other in the unemployment line. That's great. And, That's uh, awesome. and those type of things, you know, people, what is a UB40? It's a submarine? No, right. it's, it's unemployment line. It's a UFO. Line. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that somebody said, oh, UB40 before you get a job. <laughs> <UB40>. <laughs> out of here. That's awesome. I love stories like that. That's a good That's a good one. Hey, a couple of years ago, you were the winner of, of Billboard Magazine's 2003-2004 yeah, really. World Song Contest for number oh, no. one pop song. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a pretty incredible honor, but... I w- thought it was prestigious. That too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but which song won the award? And by winning this, did it lead to any other opportunities? Um, you know, just bragging rights, I think. I thought it might lead to a little bit more. They did send um, a CD out to... Uh, all these industry people, and I got some bites. Like I had some calls. You know, I, I saved a couple of them on my answering machine. I still have, hmm. like from Atlantic Records. Uh-huh. Um, but I think they were just fishing around, and um, no, it didn't amount to much. And it, you know, putting that that puzzle together, that behind the scenes thing, that you need more than just yourself in order to get to certain places. I mean, I'm pretty happy with what I've done, but mm-hmm. they're. You know, it gets kind of hard to to be the band leader and and the booker and all that kind of stuff. But um, it was the song "How I Feel," which is my favorite song mm-hmm. that I've done. I think that they chose a good song, but um, it didn't. Uh, you know what? They still owe me a year's subscription to Billboard. So maybe if <laughs> Shaka Khan knows anybody after she listens to the podcast, she there can call go. somebody at Billboard. And- well, hopefully, somebody from Billboard is listening to this podcast. <laughs> I want an inbox. I want a, a guitar, an electric guitar, which I gave to my uh, guitar player who I wrote the song with. There's some so, unfinished business here, Billboard. I know. Yeah. That's if, right. If you're listening to Billboard, she needs her subscription. That's right. That's right. Like, I wanted this it. Thing out, That's you know? why I entered the contest because Billboard was an expensive subscription. And my husband's like, we can't afford that. And I'm like, I'll enter the contest, damn it. And I'll win the contest. <laughs> so I entered the contest and I won. I was like, I'm going to get the subscription for free. And I've never gotten it <laughs> now you've you've also had some of your songs featured in some pretty high profile uh television shows right Fancy schmancy. uh yep. which shows were they and what songs joan of arcadia and dawson's creek wow. and uh strong medicine and almost made one onto uh hbo six feet under really and cool. then i got um edged out by a label person i think at the last minute but those label people those label <laughs> well, my label qu- people well, my question is is how do they find these songs and and where you know how you to- know a lot of things can be done i think 
on your own and it was an accident. My my friend, one of my really, really good friends said, uh, my best friend, actually, if she hears the podcast, she'll be like, I'm your best friend. Okay, so my best friend, Kim, <laughs> said, you know, you need to send your, your music. She watches these shows and it's like, I have not seen these shows, but she's like, she just calls and says, you should send your stuff to this person, this person, and this yeah. person. So, so I sent out a couple and like, miraculously like really only a couple and they used it so this one music supervisor really likes That's my cool. stuff on top of your your cd uh fireworks and karate supplies you've also released a, a dvd yes. called fifth and main and is that that's a live performance yeah it's a, a 90 minute dvd it's in five one sound mm. cool. and there's like a couple bonus things on there um it was one of my shows that i really like top to bottom and my husband is a photographer and a videographer so he brought a a camera and and it was just kind of a magical night, so I decided to make money off of it over and over again. <laughs> what, a musician try to make money off of their own? I, know. I don't get it. Heaven I forbid. <laughs> I'm telling you. I've had the opportunity to see you perform live, speaking of live shows. Am I hot? Several times. <laughs> extremely hot. My three-and-a-half-year-old said you were pretty hot, too. That was his first, yeah. first concert ever. Kids seeing. love me. The first yeah. concert ever for, for my little boy was to see Jimmy DeVoe. And, oh, that's right. And uh, That's so cool. And uh, – I was going to ask you, how often do you perform and, and, you know, are you performing nationally? Are you performing all over? We have played all over. And um, I found doing that on my own is a, a little expensive. It's a little break even. And, um, and it kind of just, I think timing wise, I just, for this, this last six months to a year, I just decided to go ahead and, and do the, um, you know, from Chicago to St. Louis to yeah. to around here and just really work these markets. Because the Indianapolis market in Indiana alone, it's like we just still have this miraculously growing thing. And I'm I'm working with a guy in California who I'm hoping that we release something on a bigger label, a really cool artistic label where we can get like some major touring and, and get a little backing, tour support. That brings up a little subject that we talked about just a little earlier. You know, I mentioned that John Parrish's um, approach yeah, and along with your approach mixed in together, it created a, a sort of um, a mixture that resembled a little bit of, of, of T-Bone Burnett yes. and his approach to production and so forth. Uh, is, was that by accident or, you know, when, when, I mean, when I mentioned that, your eyes like lit up like, right. wow, that could be. When you mentioned him out yeah. there, I was like, he's next on my list. Like, I, w- I would love to somehow get to work with him. Yeah. So, and I think um, nothing's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, he's and um, he's pretty much done anything and everything he wanted. So I, I kind of felt like that about John, too. I mean, we, we definitely set out not to do anything but the songs I brought and we didn't, it wasn't conscious. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because it's like because that's what it came out with and we got that vision. It's like I'm a big fan of, of most of the records that, you know, T-Bone Burnett has yeah, produced right. so that I know of. He puts some magic touch on stuff and still lets the artists, mm-hmm. you know, sound like themselves. So yeah. he'd be – that's my next coveted producer. Well, hopefully we'll be have him uh, uh, subscribe to this podcast. Yeah, maybe we'll get him on the show one of these days. <laughs> one of these days. I'll, call him. I'll him. email him. Yeah, get him on the show. <laughs> so when you're not in the studio and you're not performing live, what other kinds of things do you do to keep you busy? Well, you know what? I try to make a living doing uh, voiceovers also. So I do some voiceovers mm-hmm. for – commercials i've sung and uh, uh do a lot of talking now oh, see, i've tried was... to pull rein in my singing voice for just you know the art but i have 
um, you know, no shame in the fact that commercially that's kept me alive mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> well, that was a baited question because I, I knew the answer. And, and if you listen to the podcast before, if you rewind and the girl and, is great, and check out the intro to yeah. our podcast, that's Jenny, the that's spokesperson, right. Jenny. So uh, and Rick's got my number. That's right. Okay. Yeah, if you're looking for a great voice talent, Jenny. Jenny is the person you need to talk to. She's great at no that. Doubt. We usually close the show by asking uh, our guests what's on their iPod, but you said earlier you don't have an iPod. Aren't but, I terrible? But what kind of what kind of music are you into right now? Outside of your own stuff, what, what are you I into? always listen to Lyle Lovett. Yeah. Um, I love John Hyatt. I love Bonnie Raitt, and uh, I love uh, Narls Barkley right now. Yeah. Nora Jones, Fiona Apple, Bruce Springsteen's. Uh, situation with the Seeger Sessions. Unbelievable. I love it. Mm-hmm. That concert really was emotional for me. We got to do side stage. So Bruce, um, I think, didn't want to start his show until we were done with our side <laughs> stage. But um, Patty Griffin, um, gosh, there are so many people I'm a fan of. Lyle Lovett is probably one of my, my all-time favorite. Yeah. James Taylor. I mean, I listen to John Prine, stuff like that. Yeah, And then I listen to new stuff, too. But I'm just a big fan of the um the really really good writers before we close out today's uh episode we're gonna play a track from jenny's latest released fireworks and karate supplies and uh jenny what are we gonna hear i don't know which one are we gonna play i don't know let's just redeeming uh, i think redeeming is go good redeeming would be a good choice yeah that is uh lyrically i'm proud of that it's so simple like there's not a lot of chords in that till you get to the bridge um but uh yeah I think that's a good one. We'll do that right after we close out. But we'd like to thank you, Jenny, for joining us today on Inside Music Cast. We really appreciate your time. And for more information about Jenny, you can visit her website at JennyDevoe.com. That's J-E-N-N-I-E-D-E-V-O-E.com. Is that right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And for Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Thanks, you guys. From a lineup, and when the jury asked me if I thought that you should be free, I told them, Oh, you've taken this everything, and all that's left is what's left of me. So I Guess that you're a criminal Just like me And you're gonna need Some redeeming See, you're gonna need
There's all kinds of places that we could go To the ends of the earth or the other side of the road I just want someone to wag their tail and walk the door You see, I was a girl on a dashboard in a grass skirt And you were Long day in the living room on a stage and work and I dance for you. And you'd ask me to move so you could see a Y50 on the TV and your name. Thanks for downloading Inside Music Cast.